Hello and welcome to Coast to Coast AM's official YouTube channel. I'm your host, George Norrie. Like, share, and subscribe to our channel. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, on coasttocoastam.com. Mount Shasta. Is it a porthole to a hollow earth? What's going on there? In a moment, Stephen Sindoni joins us. We're going to talk with him about this on Coast to Coast AM. And if you're into the supernatural, you're going to enjoy this hour. Stephen Sindoni grew up on the streets of New York City and was surrounded by people of many backgrounds, ethnicities. This aroused some curiosity about the human condition and a need to understand hey, what makes people choose the paths that they go down. Such is the case when he came across the legend of J.C. Brown. We'll talk about that. The man who claimed to have discovered a lost city in Shasta Mountain and hidden treasure and remnants of a legendary society. Here's Stephen on Coast to Coast. What an exciting story, Stephen. How are you? Very good, George. It's been a long time since we've spoken. Yes. It's a pleasure to be on with you again. You were with me about four years ago, I think. That is correct. I was with you on April 18, 2008, to be correct. Well, good to have you back. For a lot of people who are brand new to this show, Stephen, tell us a little bit about the legend of J.C. Brown. Okay, the legend of J.C. Brown is about, it's a baffling story about a man uh, who uh, shows up in uh, Stockton, California in 1934 at the age of about 67 and he goes into the office of the editor of the Stockton Record newspaper, and he spins a tale about a lost treasure that he said he had found 30 years earlier while employed with the uh, Lord Cowdrey Mining Company, Company of England, approximately 1903 and 1904. And uh, the, uh, the editor of the paper gets him in touch with uh, John Root, who becomes the organizer of a group. They also get the curator of a museum, Harry Noyce Pratt, of the Hagen Museum in Stockton. And for six weeks, they hold meetings uh, twice a day. And J.C. Brown claims that while prospecting, he had come across an unusual uh, rock basalt uh, formation. And upon his second trip up to the Cascade Mountain Range, he dug it out. And whereupon, uh, after going into this tunnel that he found, Three miles into it, there was uh, mined ore and gold there that he saw from a prehistoric type of race. And as they went further, eight miles further into this uh, mine-type shaft, he came across uh, a city, as he called it, where he found a skeleton six and a half to ten feet tall. He found uh, mummified remains of a king and queen, he believed, of, of from Lemuria. And he found hieroglyphics that... Uh, showed an ancient culture, and uh, what he wanted was these 80 people that had assembled in 1934 to accompany him up to Mount Shasta at his expense. And what he said, there was two caves that he, that he found, other than the one he was talking about, and that in the two caves that he would give uh, the collections of what, what was found there to the 80 people that went up on the expedition, but the other cave where the mummified king and queen remains were, he wanted to keep intact for the museums. So on the morning of uh, May of 1934, when the 80 people were supposed to leave from Stockton, California with J.C. Brown, he mysteriously disappeared. Oh, really? So you started your own investigation into this. Did you find anything a little different than the myth? Oh, absolutely, I did. Uh, when I first read it, I, I read it in the uh, Emily A. Frank book, um, 
uh, Mount Shasta, California's Mystic Mountain. There's only three pages in there, but I said I'm going to spend a couple weeks in a New York Public Library at the time, and just to see if I could research this to find out what I could, because I was looking for a screenplay to write. And uh, so I spent a couple weeks. The first thing I did is I said, well, was there a Lord Cowdrey? You know, because in the legend is the Lord Cowdrey Mining Company. So right. uh, as funny as it sounds, I just Googled Lord Cowdrey Mining Company. All of a sudden, bullseye, I found out that there was a Lord Cowdrey Mining Company. <laughs> it pops up, huh? So it pops up. So I'm looking further. I says, uh, who is this Lord Cowdrey? And uh, this was the tough part because uh, what I found out later that Lord Cowdrey was a name that, that was given afterwards to Sir Wheatman Pearson, who was knighted in 1916 and was uh, given the title of uh, Viscount Cowdrey in England. So I thought, well, let me look at the age of this man. And uh, he was uh, an older man at the time, but in 1934, it's the one of those, the, the stumbling blocks I came across was that Lord Cowdrey had died, or Sir Wheatman Pearson had died in 1927, so he could not be the man who showed up in the Stockton record in 1934. So I reread the legend, and it said the man said he was a lieutenant for many years with the Lord Cowdrey Mining Company. So I went to a different library in New York, and I was able to find the memoirs of uh, Sir Wheatman Pearson, Lord Cowdrey, and in the book, there happened to be uh, pictures of three other civil engineers. And I'm looking at the other three. So I said, you know what? Let me go back to the library in um, 34th Street mm -hmm. and look through all the border crossings and see if I can match up the other three names of the civil engineers with Sir Wheatman Pearson or Lord Cowdrey coming across either in through Mexico, through New York, Canada, or any uh, border crossings coming into the United States because uh, 80, 90 years ago, our country is pretty much anal retentive with records, like who's coming in the country. Nobody could really sneak in. So there were records at that time. So I said, well, if that be the case, I'm looking for specifics now, 1903, 1904, in that area, as, as the legend states. And now that I know that Lord Cowdery was really Sir Wheatman Pearson, let me look at him and other men who um, are in this um, uh, civil engineer's memoir, for, uh, for Sir Wheatman Pearson. So I did, and lo and behold, uh, one of the men's name in the, the photo that I had was John Benjamin Body, of the three men that were, were in there in um, Sir Wheatman Pearson's memoirs. I noticed that John Benjamin Body started making crossings into the United States through Laredo, Texas, as early as uh, 1903. And then I noticed that coming through, he had come in with Lord Cowdrey or Sir Wheatman Pearson in 1904 with other men that were engineers of the Lord Cowdrey Mining Company. So it Upon is... further inspection, I noticed that there was a, about three or four uh, instances where Lord Cowdrey, Sir Wheatman Pearson himself, came in with J.B. Body. But J.B. Body had come in through Mexico possibly up to 18 times in a 15-year period. But what was interesting, George, was that in the third or the fourth time uh, John Benjamin Body was coming through, on the manifest records, when asked if he had ever been in the United States, he lied and said no. Wow. Why would he do that? Well, what the reason why I believe he did that, though, is because going up to Mount Shasta and coming back, he had to cross the border. And 
some of the artifacts that he had gathered uh, underneath the mountain, he had to be very, very careful as to what he took back over the border into Mexico because he was uh, working for the Lord Calgary Mining Company in Mexico. And here was a man who was building the Tijuana Peck Railroad, which uh, connected the Pacific uh, side of Mexico to the Gulf. And what they did was when the goods from China would come to the United States, they would come through to Mexico, come across on that Tijuana Peck Railroad, and they beat the United States to the Panama Canal by 12 years. So this was a major deal for uh, the, uh, the, the Pearson Company or the uh, Lord Cadre Mining Company because they were closely related or uh, in business with Porfirio Diaz, the, the president of Mexico. So he had to hide some of these artifacts, you're basically saying. Exactly. All right. Now, this tunnel... This long, long tunnel. Did anybody else find it? I mean, have you seen it? Is it out there? I've seen it. I got photos of it. If you go to my site, stephensindoni.webs.com, I have a picture of the basalt, basalt rock formation. And uh, it's on private property, I will tell you that. Is it as long as everybody thinks? Well, Deep? you have to get through the doors. And once you get through the doors, it is as long as people think, yes. So it's very possible the things he says that he found, these skeletons and everything else, might be real. Exactly. What's, now, there's got to be something mystical about this. Yes, there is. And here's the mystical part of it. After I was on your show, I decided to go out to California to actually find these doors that, uh, that lead into uh, the bowels of Mount Shasta. Upon doing so... <clears throat> Someone had sent me an email about a man who was hiking in that area, and him and his daughter was on Thanksgiving of 2008. So I was on your show in April. Excuse me. <clears throat> but in uh, November of 2008, this gentleman, while walking with his daughter, had come across this rock uh, formation. Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere, a seven-foot man with a white robe appeared and spoke with a British accent and invited them in and told them they had just found the back entrance to Telos. Which was the back entrance of the front entrance of this tunnel, right? Yes. Okay. So way on so the now other side. This man, this man and his daughter had the choice of going in or not going in. Well, this, this tall figure, probably ominous figure, scared the bejesus out of both of them, so they declined. That's probably smart. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this man, his grandfather, uh, Levi Van Fossen, owned the property by Hedge Creek Falls and Mossbrae Falls uh, about 100 years ago. So this property that this man was walking on was once owned by uh, his relatives. So afterwards, he put this story on the Internet, and uh, I contacted him through someone else because I figured, well, I'm not ready to talk to him directly, but I had my friend contact him by email. And he validated that, yes, this did happen. So I figured I'd wait until I was actually had more information to see. So I had visited the site 2009, 2010 myself and uh, actually had photos of this basalt rock formation and uh, knew exactly where it was. And I figured out how it was done. And, and what happened was Lord Caldray and Sir Wheatman Pierce, who was Sir Wheatman Pearson, brought with him John Benjamin Body, who was the J.C. Brown of the legend, and other engineers up to the Shasta Springs Resort 
and they were there on vacation. And Shasta Springs was, is uh, where it was an elite resort where you could drink the Shasta water. It was bubbling spring water that they had on the property, which came from the uh, the mountain itself. So the, the lava tubes go from the mountain onto this property. Mm-hmm. So this was an elite property. They would get off the train uh, in Dunsmere, take a tram up to the property, and they would spend their vacation you know, hobnobbing, hobnobbing with the rich and famous. These were all very rich, prominent men. So while they were on this property, they came across this unusual basalt rock formation, and being all civil engineers, decided to dig it out. And on consecutive trips, J.B. Body kept coming back and back and back, you know, at the request of his boss, uh, Sir, Lord, uh, Sir, Sir Wheatman Pearson, Lord Cowdray, to dig this out for the artifacts. But John Benjamin Body waited until after Sir Wheatman Pearson died. Okay, hold on for a second, Stephen. We're going to take this quick break. We're going to come back in just a moment on Coast to Coast AM. Stephen's website is hooked up at coasttocoastam.com. We'll get into what the heck is going on at Mount Shasta. And we'll take some phone calls. If you live in that area up that way, if you've ever been there, check in with us or we'll take your questions. We'll be right back. Okay, you Coast Insiders, my colleague John B. Wells, who hosts the Saturday night Coast to Coast AM and then fills in for me, he will be participating in our chat tomorrow for you Insiders. Starts at 8 p.m. Pacific time. If you would like to be a Coast Insider, it's very easy to do. You just go to coasttocoastam.com. It's about 15 cents a day now. And just fill out the information and become a Coast Insider or get it as a gift now for the holidays. And we'll be back in a moment with Stephen Sindoni. We'll take your calls and find out what the heck is going on at Mount Shasta when we come right back. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm George Norrie. We'll take your calls in just a second. Stephen Sindoni with us as we talk about Mount Shasta. Stephen, this this area, is it is it is something going on? Are people disappearing in the hole? What's happening there? Well, there's a number of things that are happening in Mount Shasta. It depends on who you speak to, who you ask. Uh, for example, you've got a lot of UFO uh, phenomena that are happening there around the mountain. You've got stories of uh, beings from inside the mountain uh, inviting people in. You've got a lot of people that are channeling different ascended masters in the area. And then you've got the uh, the military presence. Uh, around the mountain, who has an underground base on the backside of the mountain. So you got quite a bit of things going on around Shasta. Is it something that could be dangerous for people? No, because there's two things, George. There's love and there's fear. As long as you're in, you 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 got love in your heart, and you're not in fear, then nothing can happen to you. It's those who uh, who cross that line and are afraid or in doubt and. Uh, and the controllers have the ability to, to make things difficult. For anybody who's a good good person, they have nothing to worry about but, but fear itself. So if you don't have any fear, then you have nothing to worry about. You walk in the light. Stephen, the people who rejected the invite from the seven-foot robed person, what might have happened? It's always conjecture, but what well, might have I happened? Spoke, I spoke to him last night, and uh, he may be one of the people that is going to be in my movie, the documentary movie, uh, so... Uh, we're trying to work out when we can meet, but he uh, he spoke with me in detail last night, about 40 minutes, and uh, and he is uh, under the impression that you know uh, we are California is Lemurian continent, you know, and uh, it's yeah. the eastern uh, portion of Mu, 
And uh, from my research and what I've learned and what I've seen while I was up there, I tend to agree with him as well as uh, the, the man of the legend, uh, John Benjamin Body or J.C. Brown, that there is, this is an important link. This race is an important link uh, for ancient American history. Had they gone into that tunnel, would they have come out? I think they would have. Okay. Well, that's well a... John, John Benjamin Body or J.C. Brown uh, went in on, on my border crossings. He went up to that area about 13 times, and he lived up until 1940. And the only problem he had was in uh, he had told the men uh, in uh, Stockton in 1934 that on one of his expeditions up to the Cascade Mountain Range, he was kidnapped and just barely got away with his life. And uh, what I came to learn was he was friends with one of the Harrimans, and the Harrimans are one of the the wealthiest the political families for the last hundred years. Yeah, and uh, they did not want the story to get out. So uh, John Benjamin made the mistake of telling the Harrimans, and he put himself in jeopardy uh, as a result of it. Who kidnapped him, or tried the to? The Pinkertons, I believe. The uh, the security well, company. Before the CIA, there was the Pinkertons, yeah. and they were the secret. You know, uh, they were the. They were a group of the government that, well, you know, was sent out to squelch different things, and uh, I believe it was the Pinkerton that scared him off. The tunnel, is it natural or is it man-made? The tunnel is a, um, a man-made tunnel uh, in the inside. The outside, it's a, it's a rock basalt foundation, but the inside of the tunnel has actually been uh, carved out. Okay, let's go and take some calls. Let's go to Medford, Oregon. Jim, you're with us on Coast to Coast. Hey, Jim. Yeah, uh, I'm Shasta Indian myself. Okay. I belong to the Shasta Nation here. And um, I've been up on Mount Shasta several times. I just want to say that uh, it's our tradition that we don't go above the snow line on the mountain. It's our creation. Why not? Our creator uh, created us. From up on the mountain and uh, and uh, wake a seat. And what do you think's going on up there, Jim? Well, uh, it's something that we kind of keep under our hats because it's it's sacred. Well, lift the up the hat and tell us what's going on. Come on, you called. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's just that you know, uh, in, in many cases we we try to keep you know. People from in going into it because it's the creation. Go, creation are you, are you tr- trying to keep them from going into it because it could be dangerous for them, or because yes. it's sacred? It's sacred. All right, uh, Jim. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, I like, like to interject, Jim. Jim, have line. you ever been at Northgate on the north part of the mountain where where the Shasta Indians have their own? Uh, they've got their. Uh, there's sacred site there on the north, north gate side of the mountain, and it's about, uh, I'd say, 5,000 feet uh, elevation where that is. Have you ever been there? I've been through there, yes. Okay, so you're aware of that. Okay, because that's, that's the highest level that I see remnants of your people in Mount Shasta. As we talk about the hollow earth, is it hollow ground, basically, hollowed ground? Um, is it spiritual, Stephen? Yes, it is. Uh uh, Diane Robbins, who is uh, one of the channelers uh, of Adama from Telos, who was a friend of mine when I was up there in 2008 or 9 when I went up to actually look for the mountain. And uh, 
her and I became friends, and uh, she's got a number of different books about it. But basically, there is a civilization that lives underneath that mountain in a crystalline type of a city that have been giving her information. And other people as well have information about these Telosians. And uh, through the years, there's been stories uh, of them coming into town with gold nuggets to buy things. And then, like, next thing, and they were wearing, like, uh, hippie-type garments. And then all of a sudden, they mysteriously disappear. But they've been seen throughout the years. So this has been documented evidence of uh, a, uh, a civilized race on this mountain. Let's go to Jabari calling from California, first-time caller. Hello, Jabari. Hi. Uh, it's just an amazing show tonight. Thank you so much. Um, I, I've, I've been to Mount Shasta. I make, I make pilgrimages there regularly. Uh, I, I was a guy who was raised to only believe what was in the Bible, but uh, uh, I just saw so many things that that particular holy book couldn't explain. And, George, and I was actually in the jungles of Peru, even though I lived near Mount Shasta, I was mm-hmm. uh, in the jungles of Peru when I found out how holy it was. This French woman I met there said, you've got to go. You've got to drink the water. And uh, um, uh, I've been, you know, people see UFOs there. They have angelic contacts. Every dream I have there, every night I'm in the area, is a vision. I tell you, it's just a center of love and synchronicity. And it's not just Mount Shasta, George. It's the neighboring mountains as well. It's, it's that area. You can feel the energy there, can't you? Well, speak, speaking of, of the eclectic things that happen there, Hedge Creek Falls, I'm going to throw that out there. There's a waterfalls there, and uh, people come from India, China, all different Buddhist religions come out there to get married underneath this waterfalls. It's one of the most oldest waterfalls in the world. And next to it, right next to it, to the left of it, I've taken photos of petroglyphs there that show Lemurian uh, carvings there that, that are hiding in plain sight right there in Hedge Creek Falls. I've also seen... UFOs in Mount Shasta hovering over the city. I remember the date was 9909, and uh, a cloud opened up, a lenticular cloud. I saw a fleet of ships that had left the mountain, and they just traveled east, and, like, they beamed the light down at me and my friend to let us know, you know, I want you to make you aware of us, because I had just left the mountain uh, at about 10 o'clock at night and went down into town hoping I would see something that night because it was 999, all the numerical uh, significance of it. And then to come down into the city and, and uh, not to, uh, to let me down, they actually let me see them later that evening. So, yes, there are things happening there, George. And the reason why I'm going back up there is we're doing a documentary film. I'll be up uh, in Shasta October 6th. I'll be at Berryvale on Mount Shasta Boulevard about 12 noon. Anybody who wants to go on an expedition or be part of our film crew, we need cameramen, grippers, and other people to work on our crew. They can sign uh, retainers with us. We have a deferred payment. But I I expect to have this movie made by late November, get it out in Hollywood, because I'm about to reveal some other things that that I've learned while I was up there. There are other caves that have gone unexplored. There's a story uh, uh, that was by Nola Van Valer, and she claimed for 10 years that she went up on a certain part of the mountain, which I'm not going to mention where it was, and there were two caves there, but she met Philos the Tibetan and, and Jesus and other ascended masters on these two caves. And I have the last mm. map of this, where these caves are, and it is my hope 
that because I've been doing my spiritual work, that when I go up there later this month, that I will be able to meet these individuals because I am ready for the contact. And I want to share this with the people of the world because we are a spiritual being living in a material existence. And it is time for people to take off the blinders to realize that all the biblical text that we've, we've been taught is a lie. It's half-truth. It's a lie. I don't care if it's Judaism, Buddhism, if it's uh, Christianity, whatever it is. They are all half-truths. And we're really talking about a 12,000-year timeline, George. And once you get past the 12,000-year timeline, then their whole control theories collapse. And the controllers will not be able to take the paradigm shift because the truth will set us all free, George. And that's what I'm about to do is set it off and let the truth be known. Pretty dramatic, Stephen. Pretty dramatic. This woman, is she believable? The one who said she saw these entities? Yes. Next up, let's go west of the Rockies. We'll go to uh, Maui in Hawaii. Marty's with us. Hey, Marty, thanks for calling. Thanks, George. Um, I love your uh, topic tonight. Uh, My wife and I, um, who are still married and living here on Maui now for 30 years. Uh, when we went to college, we went to, up to Humboldt State. We lived right on the—I bought the five acres right on a point on the coast where the San Andreas Fault reenters the land area, uh-huh. comes in from the ocean. In fact, uh, at, we lived in Well Gulch, and from the mouth of that gulch, you can see how the thin ridge line was sheared off from the inland portion— it's a perfect match if you just laid it together how the San Andreas Fault just sheared this massive gorge two to 3,000 feet deep and 15 miles long. And, uh, but we would drive over. Um, uh, to go over to Shasta, we had to go over Paradise Ridge, which is a long ways away. I mean, I, I don't even know. It's got to be minimum 75 to 80 miles, uh, airline miles to Mount Shasta, but you could see Mount Shasta from Paradise Ridge right on the coast. And um, it was so gorgeous. But we would go over there for like when we'd have a couple of days off from school and drive up as high on the mountain as we could get till we hit snow. It was interesting that uh, your Indian guests said that they wouldn't go past the snow line. Neither did I. And it's a living, breathing mountain. I mean, the thing rumbles. You, and, you know, you Mount Lassen, you can feel the thing and you can hear it. I mean, it, it's a it's a living entity, and you know Mount Lassen, which is uh, adjacent to Mount Shasta, blew up um, not that long ago. I believe it was in the teens of last century, and um, and the devastation from that eruption is is still evident clearly to this day. And I I think Mount Shasta, you know, it is not a dormant volcano; it is fully active, and you can feel it just by uh, driving up there. Yeah, you could probably feel little earthquakes, too, I bet. Oh, yeah, no, I, I used to spend, I, I'd have to leave after a couple of nights. It was just a very intense place, and I was uh, at that time away from my uh, Christianity and was very much uh, interested in dabbling. In, um, Would you ever go back there, Marty? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. I have uh, friends that live in the cloud, and um, I drink, the water I drink, and I swear to my wife, and she had done pulled it on me if I could do a blind t- taste test. I drink only water from Mount Shasta. Really? At this still? 
Yeah, you can buy it in the stores. Yeah, in, um, yeah, it's in bottled and water. And I, I drink the I drink the the bottled water from Mount Shasta. I love it, and I can taste the difference in it. And my wife can't believe it that I can pass a blind taste test on bottled water. And, and how do you feel? Does it have any medicinal uh, healing properties? Um. Well, yeah, I feel that it it, it refreshes me. But any water when you live on Maui, you know, yeah, it's almost ninety, and you know. The humidity is almost 90. Water is really refreshing, but I love my Shasta water. I drink it, prefer (laughs) it wherever I get it. You know, I'll go out of my way to get it. But it is a very special place, and it is the most beautiful mountains. And the colors um, that it displays from a long distance from what I was saying on Paradise Ridge all the way over on the Humboldt Coast, you could look over and pick out Mount Shasta, the very summit of it. And the colors at sunset time uh, around it are just gorgeous. I mean, they're as gorgeous as any tropical sunset, which we have here in abundance. Oh, yeah, it is. We've got some pictures up there at coasttocoastdam.com, and it is quite the sight. Still getting a lot of UFO reports out there, Stephen? I'm getting quite a few uh, from people, and that's why I'm going out there to uh, to make that part of my documentary, that aspect of it, because uh, people are seeing them. And... Uh, I'm about now ready to uh, to go public with you know my stories, what I've seen, and what other people that I know, personal friends of mine, who I, I can look them in the eyes and I can read body language. I can tell if someone's snowing me or not. I've been around the mountains there a number of years, and people that claim to channel this one or claim profess this or that, and I'm a pretty good judge of character. Growing up in the city of New York, where you have a lot of charlatans, it's easy to figure out you know uh, fact from fiction. And you can tell who's genuine or not. And the nice thing about this particular trip, I will be going out with certain people, and uh, we will go out and we will research certain things, and we're going to see for ourselves. You know, Bendy Vidivici, we came, we saw, and uh, I'm going to conquer. And, you know, uh, I need to change the existing paradigm in a New York minute, so to speak, because I don't like what's happening, the suppression of the truth. And I have hundreds of movies that I've put out on many, many, many topics, and I find it appalling, and I find it shameful that people do not want to think. And they're afraid to think of what they might discover. So I'm about to help lower the veil with the help of many others in Shasta. Sounds like you're going to blow the lid off something, Stephen. Well, I would like for people to know the truth. I mean, uh, anybody who's followed any religious persuasion, any belief system, you know, belief. Is it a lie? Be lie? I don't know. We'll find out. You know, I want to be able to pick things apart, dissect it in a way intelligently and explain it to share with people. It's not how you perceive it. Perception is, is, uh, is in the eyes of the spin doctor. Let's get the spin doctor out of it and let's fully examine every angle of it as you would a magician's trick. Stephen, do come back safely when you go out there, would you? 